do welcome each one to the house of God this morning, trusting in the Lord's blessing as we gather together, as we praise his name and consider his word. And if you're visiting here, we do welcome you, and we trust you'll know the Lord's richest blessings as you meet and worship the Lord with us this morning. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the Psalm 40, the Psalm 40. At the back of the hymnal, there is a section of Psalms, and it is the Psalm 40 we're turning to. I waited for the Lord my God, and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. The Psalm 40 will sing the five stanzas that are contained within the musical notes, verses 1 to 5 only, please. Standing to sing. Turn in the Word of God to the Psalm 23, and turning in the Scriptures to the Psalm 23, Psalm of David, a Psalm that is well known 
uh, to all of us, I'm sure, one of uh, the most uh, famous and well-known of these songs. And the Word of God says, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his precious word this morning. And may we as the people of God be comforted and encouraged uh, that the Lord is indeed our shepherd, one who loves us, one who cares for us, one who provides for us. And in life, uh, whatever circumstances come our way, we can look to him uh, for he is our great shepherd. Let us pray and let us come before the Lord in prayer. And as we pray, let us remember Brother Vern Hansen. Our brother fell uh, yesterday evening, and uh, let us pray for the Lord's help and strength for him. Uh, do remember as well uh, our brother Calvin Golliger, no stranger to the congregation here. Uh, brother grew up here, the son of the former pastor, and he uh, has had uh, some lung problems recently and is uh, currently undergoing tests uh, to find uh, the cause of uh, these problems. Uh, so do uh, remember him in your prayers and do pray uh, for the Lord's blessing uh, upon uh, these two men. And of course, we have other prayer requests as well at this time. But let us seek the Lord, uh, let us pray and look to him. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, as thy people we rejoice today, we can come into thy house we come to worship a God who is not distant from us, but a God who is our shepherd. And Father, we rejoice in the comfort and in the peace that we can receive from this psalm, knowing that thou art our help, knowing that the Lord is my shepherd. And Father, today we pray that as the great shepherd of thy sheep, that thou would tend to thy flock here, that thou would meet our needs through the preaching of thy word, and that thou would encourage our hearts, and give us comfort where comfort is needed, and give us grace, we pray, and give us that help and strength where it is needed. And Father, we realize we have many circumstances and difficulties in life, but we rejoice, we can look to thee, and we can uh, rejoice in the presence of our God and in thy help and in thy power. And Father, today we lay our needs before thee. We have that great need uh, to hear the preaching of thy precious word. And Father, we beseech thee that as we 
uh, turn to thy truth in a few moments' time, that thou would open it to us, thou would teach us and instruct us in thy ways. Encourage our hearts, uh, we pray. Uh, Father, we uh, do realize the importance of thy word in teaching us and instructing us in the way that we ought to go. And we pray today that thou would sanctify us uh, through the preaching of thy word. And Father, may we come to thy word uh, with a prayerful heart and spirit, knowing that, well, there may be things here that we like and things that are encouraging to us, but there may be other things that the flesh may kick up against, things that we do not like. O oh God, we pray thou would give us the grace to discern, the grace to consider thy truth, and the grace to understand thy truth, and that if it is that we need to be corrected, that we would desire that and receive that grace from thee. Father, we do remember the needs of our congregation as well. Uh, we do pray for our brother Vern. We do thank thee for him and for his wife and family. We pray that uh, thou would be with him. And uh, we pray, O oh God, that thou would give that help, that strength, that grace that is sufficient. We do remember Curry, that uh, thou would be pleased to uh, meet with her and encourage her heart and give that comfort, that help, uh, that strength. Father, we pray uh, for the needs of the family also, and we ask thee that thou would move, and move in grace, and move in salvation. Father, we uh, do remember our sister Debbie as well, and her needs. Remember Clayton Snow. Uh, Father, remember our brother Colin and his mother. And Father, others also who need thy help, and need the uh, strength of the Lord. We thank thee, we can look to thee, uh, we rejoice, Father, that day by day our strength comes not from ourselves, but from thee, our God. We do remember the Sunday school teachers and the children. We pray thou would bless them and bless the families in our congregation. Oh God, we think of the radio ministry, the needs there. Our brother, the Reverend Colliger, as he undertakes that ministry, bless thy word where it is preached. And not only here in this local area, but uh, even across Canada, and those means that uh, we have to present the gospel of Christ. We pray, Father, that thou would uh, undertake as well for the Gulliger family at this time. Do remember the concerns about uh, Calvin's health, and we pray that uh, these tests would uh, get to the bottom of the problem and uh, that he would know the touch of the great physician. Father, give that grace, we pray. Do remember his wife and uh, the young family, and uh, we pray that thou would uh, give them grace and encourage their hearts, even at uh, this time. Father, we do remember as well uh, Pastor Van Leer uh, here in Langley, and uh, we pray that as he awaits uh, test results also, that uh, thou would be pleased to uh, give him uh, that comfort and strength as well. Uh, remember his wife and family and uh, that congregation. And may our brother, uh, even in thy grace and in thy will, uh, know uh, favorable results. Father, we pray that thou would be uh, with all who are infirm, uh, all who are in sorrow, all who need thy help. And we rejoice that thou art our shepherd. Uh, thou art 
uh, the one who cares for us. And we rejoice, O God, that we can cast our cares at the feet of the Savior, knowing that he careth for us. Our Father, we remember the city in which we live, this area. Remember the greater Vancouver area. A great need there is of the gospel of Christ. And Father, we beseech thee that thou would encourage us as we considered last week and will consider again today to pray evangelistically and to pray with a desire that individuals would come and know Christ as Savior, that all men would hear the gospel, that all men in thy grace, in thy will, all kinds and types and classes and nationalities of men and women would come and know the Savior. If we pray for the gospel, we pray for gospel labor and gospel work in this area. We pray for the witness of this congregation, as we've already mentioned, the radio ministry. And Father, we pray that as the gospel seed is sown, sown by churches, sown by individuals witnessing to friends and family and colleagues, we pray, O oh God, there would be that harvest. Uh, we look upon uh, a multitude of people and we think of what the Savior did there in Matthew's gospel, looking upon the multitude, moved with compassion, moved in the very depths of his being, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Father, how many in our land, in our area here, are sheep without a shepherd, going their own way, and no one caring for their souls, and no one preaching the gospel to them. And Father, we pray uh, that thou would have compassion, uh, that as thou didst send the disciples out to preach thy word and to preach in the harvest fields, that thou would continue to raise up men, raise up witnesses to go forth into the harvest field of this world to preach the gospel of Christ. Father, we pray that thou would bless us here, give us a desire to pray, Give us a desire to pray for loved ones outside of Christ, to pray as we considered last week for our leaders, for those in authority, to pray for all men, and Father, to, as it were, put feet to our prayers in seeking uh, to witness for thee wherever opportunity is. Father, bless us today. Forgive us for our sins. We pray we would have that fresh glimpse of Christ today. Encourage our hearts and bless us as we continue in thy worship, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 683. The hymn 683. <clears throat> Visit us, Lord, with revival, stricken with coldness and death. Where is our hope of survival? Save in thy life-giving breath. 683, we'll stand as we worship, please.
be seated. this point in our service, can we extend again a word of welcome to each one. To those who are visiting, we welcome you and trust you'll feel at home uh, with us uh, today. Do you remember the prayer meeting tonight uh, downstairs at 5.30 p.m. and then the evening worship here at 6 p.m. and uh, do plan to come along and to support the preaching of the Lord's Word uh, this evening. Wednesday evening we have our Bible study and prayer meeting in the prayer room and on Zoom as well at 7.30. If you're not on the email list for the Zoom link, then please contact myself. Uh, those emails go out on Wednesday morning with the details uh, that you need to log on at 7.30. Uh, next, uh, Lord's Day, we have uh, the Sunday school in the morning, 9.30, for the children downstairs and for the adults here in the main part of the church. And in the will of God, we'll be commencing a study in church history in the Adult Sunday School uh, from next Lord's Day. And so I think it could end up being quite a long series. I'm probably committing myself uh, to many, many years in the will of God considering this subject. Uh, we do a desire to make it interesting. Uh, the history of the church is important. Uh, certainly the history of the world is important, and we know that, uh, but the history of the Christian church to those who are the uh, children of the Lord is an important history, and we can learn from that history in today's age and today's generation. And so we're going to commence that next uh, Lord's Day. Uh, we're going to look at uh, not only uh, history, uh, but there'll be a bit of theology, his historical theology in there as well, uh, looking at various doctrines and beliefs as they come up, as we journey uh, through the history of the church. So do remember that uh, next uh, Lord's Day morning. Then our services, 10.30 a.m., 6 p.m., the prayer meeting at 5.30 as well. Uh, next week is uh, what would be known as Reformation Sunday, uh, the, the Sunday that is closest to the 31st of October, uh, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses, uh, to the church door in Wittenberg in Germany. And so uh, we will be uh, taking a break uh, from the series that we consider uh, mainly week by week, and we'll be considering uh, various themes to do uh, with the Protestant uh, Reformation. I'm not too sure what yet. Uh, that's the work of this week, and uh, we trust the Lord will lead and guide in that. Uh, but do remember that next Lord's Day, and we will be considering themes to do with the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Toronto Free Presbyterian Church have an online women's Bible study with uh, Mrs. Jill Saunders. It starts on Tuesday, the 31st of October at 4 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. If you're interested and want to uh, join in, uh, then in the bulletin there is an email for the Toronto Church, or you could speak uh, to our sister Susan and she can get you the login details for Zoom for that study. Uh, the Free Presbyterian Church of North America have a youth mission team 
uh, that is going to Jamaica June the 29th to the 6th of July next year. And the cost is 200 US dollars. Uh, the covers, I think, accommodation, meals, etc. Uh, plus, uh, you will need uh, to purchase your airfare uh, to Jamaica. Uh, applicants must be 16 plus and in regular attendance at a local free Presbyterian church. And if you are interested, if you speak to me, I have the application form and other details uh, that I can forward uh, to you uh, if you are interested. Do remember as well our radio broadcasts, uh, the details are in the bulletin. Uh, radio Carry, 5.50 a.m., goes out Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., and Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Uh, Reverend Gallagher speaks midweek, and the Sunday uh, service at 9.30 uh, comes from uh, the pulpit here. And so do pray and continue to pray for that ministry. And if uh, you are uh, free those times, uh, then feel free uh, to listen in and to hear uh, the Word of God. And make it known to others as well uh, that our church uh, does this on uh, the radio. These are all the announcements and the subject to God's will. We're going to turn in our hymnals to hymn 435, 435, love divine, all loves excelling, and joy of heaven to earth come down. And we'll remain seated while our tithes and offerings to the Lord's work are received at this time. 435, remaining seated, please. Father, we delight to be in thy presence this morning. We thank thee, Lord, for drawing us in. We ask that you would take our tithes and our offerings, that you would use them and bless them, that the gospel message may go forth. We ask that you would touch hearts with it and our own this morning as well as we sit under the preaching. Help our brother to bring that word that you've laid on his heart. And we ask that you would take away distractions, take away all outside influences, and help us 
to worship thee, to hear your word, and to give thee praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to change our positions, we'll stand for the final verse of 435. Finish then thy new creation. Uh, verse 4, standing to sing, please. Returning this morning in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and as you turn to that passage, I preach from an iPad. I've done so for the last nine years, and I find it very handy, electronic paper really, but I find it very good to preach from. Uh, but someone asked me many years ago, uh, they said, what do you do if it doesn't work? Uh, what do you do if the battery dies? Well, I make sure it's charged. And I says, it's never let me down. And a few weeks after that, I was preaching in that congregation and my screen went black and the iPad began to reboot. And as I'm preaching, I'm wondering what's going to happen here. I kept preaching and eventually it rebooted. I put the passcode in and up the sermon came again. And for the second time in nine years that happened, as I sat down for the offering hymn there, the screen went black and the iPad rebooted. And so it's open here. Uh, it seems to be working. And so we hope uh, that uh, for uh, the remainder of this service, it will be uh, the case uh, preaching from an iPad saves a lot of paper. I did that in Australia, and I would have had a lot of paper to bring home. Uh, but paper does have its advantages uh, because it does not turn black, it does not reboot, and the battery does not die. Uh, but we trust that all will be good this morning, and uh, maybe uh, maybe paper is the way to go. I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll pray and we'll seek the Lord before we read and we'll ask for his blessing. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for thy goodness and grace toward us. We thank thee we can sing thy praises about the great love of Christ, the love of our God toward us. And we thank thee, Father, that we are here today because of thy love. And we pray that as we consider this passage afresh, that we would have that love for others, have that love for those that we are told here to pray for. Have a love for each other and that love for thee. And Father, we pray thou would drive home the truths of the gospel to hearts that are needy, hearts that are unconverted. 
Glorify thy name in the preaching of thy word. And Father, may each of us be desirous to hear from Christ, to hear thy message, to hear thy word applied to our hearts. And so we pray, Father, that by thy spirit thou would apply thy word and glorify thy name, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll read some verses here from verse 1. And the Word of God says, Paul is writing to Timothy, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Amen. And may the Lord bless uh, the reading of his uh, precious and infallible truth uh, this morning. <clears throat> the church of Jesus Christ has a duty to pray evangelistically for the souls of men and women to be converted to the Savior. This is the whole thrust of Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And last Lord's Day, we uh, considered this need, this duty and responsibility that we have to pray evangelistically in three particular thoughts. Firstly, we must pray. Secondly, we must pray generally for all men. We see that in verse 1. And then in verse 3, we saw thirdly that we must pray specifically for our rulers. And the apostle continues this theme of prayer. And the subject of prayer in the Word of God is a vital subject. The teaching of the Word on prayer outlines to us what we should believe and what we should practice concerning prayer. And that is very important. What we believe and what we should practice. And the Word of God being our only rule of faith and practice continually instructs us on what we should believe on many topics, many subjects, and what we should practice. And prayer, of course, is one of those. The Lord has given us a template for prayer in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And the Savior says, After this manner, therefore, pray thee, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Savior gives us a template, and we need to remember that thought. The Savior gives us a template as we come to pray. 
What should we pray for? How should we pray? The Savior gives us that template. Abraham, in the Old Testament, prayed. Christ went up into a mountain and prayed. The disciples prayed in the upper room. The apostle Paul prayed, and many of his prayers are contained in his epistles as well. We also see that the pattern of the New Testament church in the book of Acts was that of prayer. Constant, continuous supplication and petitioning the throne of grace in prayer. And therefore, prayer, as we saw last Lord's Day, is a very important aspect and ministry of the church of Jesus Christ. And believer, this morning, do you pray? Do you seek the Lord? Do you come day by day and bring your needs to Him in prayer, the needs of others, the needs of the church? Do you come in thankfulness and joy to the Lord for what He has done in your life? Or do you struggle to pray? Do you struggle to pray evangelistically for souls? Are you failing to see the importance of such a prayer ministry? Oh, there's people in the church and they pray. And they're at the prayer meeting on a Sunday and on a Wednesday. And when the men come together and pray, they're there praying unto God. They're doing that. I don't have to do that. That's not my role. It's the role of every believer to come together in public prayer and seek the Lord. Do you need motivation? Do you need a reminder of the importance of prayer in your life and in the life of the church of Christ? Then as we've seen, the scriptures give us that motivation. They give us that encouragement and those reasons to pray and that pattern of prayer that Christ gave to his church. It's an encouragement for us to pray and to seek the Lord. And in our reading today, we have the exact same thing, motivations and reasons for us as the people of God to pray. And so I want us to consider this morning, you have the outline in your bulletin as well, <clears throat> our motivation to pray evangelistically. We had our duty last week. This week we have our motivation to pray evangelistically. And we see firstly then, uh, we pray evangelistically because of the necessity of a godly influence upon society. The necessity of a godly influence upon society. Notice verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Paul says we're to pray for those in authority. And he indicates that godly men in government and godly men in positions of authority, and even we can look at Scripture and think, well, men who perhaps aren't godly, uh, like the king that is mentioned in the book of Ezra, uh, but the Lord moved his heart and stirred his heart to act in a certain way toward the people of God. Praying for authority and leadership leads to a peaceful and blessed society, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And here we have something of what government ought to be and how government ought to rule. And the rule of government is to be geared toward this, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And we're to pray for that end and we're to desire that end. And therefore there is a great scriptural expectation placed upon leaders and rulers and those in authority to govern 
not as they see fit, but they are to govern in light of the Word of God. And in Canada, we have very often uh, the various politicians, they send their bulletins out and they tell us what they've been doing. And we have perhaps at election time, I haven't paid too much attention to Canadian elections. I don't have a vote here at this point in time. Uh, but uh, they would send out their manifesto, what they believe. If you elect me, if you give me my vote, this is what I'm going to do. And all of it seems good. But yet, when elected, sometimes things don't happen the way they say they will. But when we think of the manifesto that a politician will stand for and seek to be elected on the basis of, you don't often see that desire to stand for what's right, to stand for what God stands for. Some things might be right. Some things may be biblical in light of Scripture. But not everything, and nor do you see, if you elect me, I promise to stand according to the word of God. That would deem in this society, if someone said that, they would be unelectable. They would not receive the vote that is needed. But there is a scriptural expectation placed upon the government to govern in a particular way. Because the standard of God, God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, it's not just for you and I. It's not just for the church. It's for all men. It is for governments to implement that law and to stand upon that law and to follow the commandments of Scripture. But we see often that is not the case. But there is that great scriptural expectation. And when we think upon praying for those who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, and there is a great motivation here. There's a great benefit. I want you to turn to Titus chapter 3 and the verse 1 to 3. There it says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. And what Paul is saying to Titus here is that we're to be subject to principalities and powers. We're to obey the magistrates. We're to live in a certain way toward them. We're to be subject, Paul is telling Titus, to the pagan government. To be subject, to be eager to do good, never to slander, to be meek and considerate. And to understand that they are unrighteous sinners that need Christ, just as we once needed Christ. And this desire for peace and a godly influence on society does not make void the need to oppose sinful agendas and standards of government. If the government says the church is to do this action and it is sinful, then the church should stand against such mandates in light of the word of God. But our ambition, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 
Verse 11, And if ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, is to live peaceably in society so that we have the freedom and the liberty to go about the Father's business, to serve the Lord. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 in the verse 12, uh, to uh, turn for a moment to this passage, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Oh, if we live godly, we'll suffer persecution. How can we live in peace? But the point is, if we face animosity and persecution, then it must be because we live godly in Christ. Not because we are disruptive within society. Not because we are rebels in society. Not because we seek a revolution. There may be times, as we see in history, where men have believed that that is the way that they had to go. But in general, we are not to be a disruptive force within society. We're to pray for peace. We're to pray for our leaders that we would have a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and society, that society would be touched by godliness. This is what Paul is saying, that society would be a good atmosphere, fruitful soil to live for Christ and to serve Christ. Let us pray for our government the government, as some governments have, clamped down on Christianity and closed churches and made it illegal to meet, we would not have the freedoms to serve the Lord and live for Christ and to worship him as we do today. Let us remember that, that there are those throughout history and those today who do not have and did not have the freedom we have here today. Let us pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for the good of the gospel, that we can go about our Father's business, that we can witness to others without the fear of imprisonment or the fear of being tied to a stake and burnt, which happened to many believers and preachers in past days. We're to pray evangelistically because of the necessity of a godly influence upon society uh, but also, secondly, because it is good and acceptable to God. It is good and acceptable to God. Notice what verse number 3 says. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So it is good for us as believers to have a global prayer concern for all men. It is pleasing to the Lord who desires all men to come unto him. And here is such a great incentive then for us as the church to pray unto the Lord for the work of the gospel because those prayers are good and they are pleasing to the Lord. And praying evangelistically then, praying for souls to be saved, praying for all men, praying for kings and those in authority is something that is morally right. It is the right thing to do. It is morally good. The Greek uh, for good indicates something that is virtuous or something that is beautiful. It is a beautiful and virtuous and good thing for us to come together and pray evangelistically. And dear believer, we should have the desire to pray, to pray evangelistically because that is good and pleasing to the Lord. We should have that desire to pray as ambassadors of Christ through Christ our mediator because we desire to please him 
to do that which is good. An evangelistic prayer is consistent with the desire of the Lord. It is he who, in his word, is directing us to pray in this way. This is good and acceptable. It is pleasing. It is agreeable to God that we do this. Do we desire to please God? Do you desire to please God? Do you desire in life to do that which is good? You're saved and redeemed and love the Lord. Do you desire to follow in his ways, to obey him, to put him first, to have a life that pleases him? Then that life, as we see here, must be a life in which prayer is made and prayer is made evangelistically because that is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And this is all about obeying the Lord. If we obey the Lord, then we must pray in this way. If we pray in this way, we are obeying the Lord. And dear believer, do you believe in praying evangelistically? Do you desire to obey God in praying for souls and praying for those who are in authority? Because it is good and acceptable to the Lord. And that is something that should motivate us to pray. I desire to please my God and to do that which is acceptable in his sight and agreeable to him. And I'll obey his word and I'll pray. I'll come together with God's people and I'll pray. I will come to the Lord myself and I will pray. And I will pray and I will pray for all men as we saw last week and I will pray for those who are in authority. And so we pray because of the necessity of a godly influence upon society. We pray because it is good and acceptable unto God. But then thirdly, we see that we pray and are motivated to pray evangelistically because of the free offer of the gospel. The free offer of the gospel. Notice what verse 4 says. Speaking of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And what we see here is the free offer of the gospel of Christ. And this drives home to us the importance of that doctrine that we refer to as the free offer of the gospel. I want you to turn for a moment to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is something here called by our gospel. There is a calling. Theologians see a distinction here. There's an internal calling, the call of the Spirit of God, God's Spirit working in your heart, regenerating you, bringing you to Christ. And that external call by which you externally hear the preached word of God. 
Calvin said that the inner call consists not only of the preaching of the word, but the illumination of the spirit. There are two aspects here. The external call is a moral persuasion, and the internal call is referred to as effectual calling. Our catechism says that effectual calling is the work of God's spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. The effectual calling is the work of the Spirit in saving the individual. They're convinced of sin. They're enlightened in the knowledge of Christ. The will is renewed. They are persuaded and enabled to accept Christ and embrace Christ who is freely offered to us in the gospel. And that Freeze at the end is very important. It's what we see here in this chapter. Freely offered to us in the gospel. In Reformed theology, we believe that God has predestinated or elected a particular people unto himself, a people whom he will save and deliver from their sins. However, one of the consequences of that teaching is that some some within Reformed circles, some within the Reformed church, take that teaching to the extreme. So in other words, God has chosen a people, God has elected a people, and because God knows who will be saved, they will be saved regardless of our actions in evangelism. When think of that position called hyper-Calvinism, a poison to tender-hearted evangelism. It leads to sermons that are focused on the believer, and that's not a bad thing because we need to preach to believers, of course. We do that. But sermons that are directed to them alone, sermons that are void of any gospel presentation, and sermons that avoid of urging the sinner to repent and trust in Christ. In other words, there is no free offer of the gospel, no personal challenge to trust in Christ as Savior. No offering of Christ to those who are in their sins. And of course, we preach Christ and we offer Christ. And we rely upon the Spirit of God to work effectually in your heart as we considered effectual calling. But we preach the truth of Christ. And the free offer of the gospel is a biblical doctrine. We see this in uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2 who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And therefore, if all men, God's desire is that all men be saved, all men must hear the word of God. All men must be challenged. All men must receive that free offer. And we see that in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. The Savior commands his disciples to do what? To go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul preached the gospel in the pagan city of Athens. And what did he declare to that crowd in Acts 17? He said that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. And this is what Paul is impressing to Timothy and what the Lord is impressing to us, that God would have all men believe and be saved and come to the knowledge of the saving truth of Christ. And therefore we are to pray evangelistically and we are to preach evangelistically because of the free offer of the gospel of Christ. 
And this doctrine is important. One commentator said, as a general rule, the best prayers come from the soundest theology. And whenever God is approached on the basis of his plan, his work or his character, he will hear an answer. And understanding something of the theology of this and the need and the importance of the free offer of the gospel helps our praying. We rejected the free offer of the gospel. We believed that it was up to God alone, and it is, God is sovereign. But if we believe that it is God who works evangelistically and God who moves in hearts, and he does, but we believe that we're not to preach that. We're to let God do that work. We're not to present the free offer of the gospel. We're not uh, to challenge sinners about their sin and plead with them to come to Christ then that changes our praying, does it not? We do not pray for souls evangelistically. It dries up our praying for souls. It dries up our gospel preaching. And we, as a denomination, as we have considered in our adult Bible class, we are evangelistic. We believe in this free offer of the gospel. We believe in praying for lost souls. There are souls connected to this congregation. And as we come to the prayer meeting, we mention those names. We pray that the Lord in grace and mercy would move within their lives and save them. We pray evangelistically. We preach evangelistically that souls who are dead in their sins would turn from that sin and trust the Savior. And it is important the apostle lays this theological foundation and motivations for evangelistic prayer. And there's a key word here. If we see in verse 1, prayer be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. Verse 4, who will have all men to be saved. And verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all. And of course, when we think of that, Verse 6 creates an interesting question. Did Christ die for all men? Did Christ die for all men? The Lord desires all men to be saved, but did Christ die for all men? The theological perspective would be there that uh, the desire of the Lord is one thing, and the will and purpose of God is another thing. God can desire that which he does not will. When we think of that, I could desire today to sit in the pew, to not have the burden of preaching the Word of God three times today, to sit and to listen and have someone else preach the Word of God. And it would be a blessing to my soul to take a little break, to listen to the preached Word, and a desire that is not wrong. If it was every single week that I was sitting listening instead of preaching, because I am the pastor and called to preach, something would be wrong. But taking a step back and listening to somebody else preach, that could be my desire. But my will, my purpose, is that there is a calling to preach, and that is my responsibility today. That is my purpose today. This is not to sit down. And so my desire can be different than my will, my purpose. And we see here then, verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 
And how do we understand that? That Christ died for all men? That there is a universal salvation? We disagree with that idea of a universal salvation because men must repent of sin and trust the Savior. But what about a universal atonement where Christ died for all men? And of course, when we think of the Savior coming into this world to save his people from their sins, and when we think of those who were called in other verses, we wonder what is being said here. And we can look at that. One of the explanations for this is in regard to what the apostle says and how the word all is defined. In verse 1, Paul says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Are we going to pray for all men? Do our prayers encompass all men? We do not pray for all men by name. If we did, our prayer meetings uh, would be about six billion names long as we seek to pray for all men. And we don't know all men. We pray for all types of men. We pray for all classes of men. We see a type. We see a class in verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And so one of the explanations of this is that Christ Jesus gave himself a ransom for all types and classes of men, all nationalities of men, all types of individuals. And this free offer of the gospel, to go back to that, because that's where our main thought is, is for all. The gospel of Christ is to be preached for all. In the church here at Ephesus where Timothy was, uh, we have mentioned the Gnostics before. They claimed that salvation was for some sort of an elitist group, for those with only special knowledge. But Paul says, and he takes on this heresy, salvation is offered to all who would have all men to be saved. And the danger when we think of this is that churches can fall into the same trap that whenever the gospel is treated as if it is exclusive property, it only belongs to a certain class of people or a certain race of individuals or the gospel is for the poor or it's only for the rich or it's only for those who have some great status within society for the first world or for the third world. Dear believer, we should never shun individuals. We should never treat people like second-class citizens within the church of Christ. The gospel is for us all. The gospel is for us all. What did Paul say in Acts 17? We're all one blood. We all come from the same line, the line of Adam. If we could trace our family history right back, we trace it right back to Adam. To Adam. I've heard stories of times within the church in other places where people were excluded because of who they were. I've heard Christians who have spoken in ways they ought not to have spoken to other believers because of who they are. And that is not the case and should not be the case within the church of Christ because we are united in the Savior. Because Christ died for all types and all classes of individuals. In this congregation, we're blessed with diversity. We're very different. We have different backgrounds. I'm not Canadian. But there are some here who were born in Canada. There were some here who were born in other places. We come together and we worship God and we praise him. 
And we love him. Why? Because he has brought us together. He's brought us into his family. He's redeemed us. He's saved us. He's brought us together as part of his visible church. We worship him together. We love him together. We love one another because of Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's a beautiful thing. And the offer of the gospel is for all men and women from all nations. And there will be those from all nations who will be found in the kingdom of God. And this thought drives home to us something else about evangelistic prayer. It is indiscriminate. We pray and we pray for God to save and it should not be a prayer of discrimination. Lord, I only want Americans to be saved or I only want Canadians to be saved. Might be extreme, but there are actually those who have believed in the past that certain classes of people can't be saved because of the prejudice they've had. We're to pray indiscriminately for all men because all are sinners, all need Christ, and Christ died for all types and classes of men. And true and biblical evangelistic prayer prays for all mankind because of the free offer of the gospel that goes out to all mankind. And this has implications for prayer. The reason that we pray for everyone then is because the gospel is for everyone. Timothy was to pray for Nero. Even though Nero hated Christians and sought to persecute them, he was to pray for him. Even though it may appear humanly speaking to be pointless because of this man's life and his sin, but that was in God's hands. He was to pray for him. He was to pray believing that God would answer. And the gospel is an invitation to believe a teaching that has been revealed by God. A teaching that is exclusive. If we move down to verse 5. The apostle says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one Savior. There is one ransom. There is one mediator. And that is the gospel that we believe. The gospel that is offered to all. The gospel that if you're in your sin today is offered to you because salvation is only through the Savior. Through him alone. Him who died upon Calvary. Him who died to redeem. Through Christ alone. Oh, that we would pray. There are great motiva motivations for evangelism and evangelistic prayer. And the free offer of the gospel encourages prayer and evangelism. Because of the universal nature of sin, we're all sinners. We're all depraved. We think of the reality of God's love and the indispensability of Christ's blood and the necessity of faith in Christ and the risen Christ and the urgency of the times in which we live. And the sovereignty of God and the greatness of the glory of God. And the peace and satisfaction and forgiveness of sins that he offers. There are powerful motivations for us to go out into the world and evangelize. And to pray. To pray for the free offer of the gospel of Christ. The shorter catechism as we read refers to Christ being freely offered in the gospel. And that is the command of scripture. And dear believer today let us be motivated to pray evangelistically. 
because of the necessity of a godly influence upon society. Because it is good, it is acceptable to the Lord. If we want to obey him, we're to pray for souls. And also because of the free offer of the gospel. Because the gospel of Christ is offered to you and offered to others and offered to those who are dead in their sins, offered to all types and classes and backgrounds of individuals. We're to pray evangelistically that God will bless and use that offer, that he would work internally and effectually in the call, in the hearts of the unconverted to draw them to himself. The Lord knows who his people are. The Lord knows whom he has predestinated to eternal life. We don't. But we're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're commanded to pray for all men. We're commanded to offer freely the gospel of Christ. And so let us do so. May it be an encouragement for us that because the gospel is to be offered to all, we're to pray to all. And may we never forget that. May we never come to the point where we have a dry and a dead preaching void of offering the gospel to sinners, void of pointing men and women to the Savior. It's to be freely offered. We believe that. And by God's grace, may we practice that in preaching, may we practice that in evangelism, may we practice that as we see here in the place of prayer. May the Lord bless his word for his name's sake. Amen. And let us pray. Our eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy truth today. We pray that thou would apply it to our hearts. We thank thee that when we consider what thou hast done for us, when we consider thy word, there are great motivations for us to pray to thee. And we thank thee for the free offer of the gospel. We rejoice, Father, that Thou hast chosen and predestinated a people for thyself. Uh, but we realize as well that we are to go out as thy church and witness for thee and to present the gospel of Christ. Thou, O Lord, knowest thy people. Thou, O Lord, will redeem them in due time according to thy will. But we realize our responsibility to freely offer the gospel. Father, may we pray to that end that as the gospel of Christ goes out here and on the radio and as we seek to witness for thee that thou would bless that word. Use it effectually to the saving of precious souls. We pray, Father, for those who are outside of Christ here. We pray that they would know that internal call of the gospel by thy spirit. Thou would save them and redeem them and that their lives would be changed. And Father, may we glorify thee. We ask thou would part us with thy blessing. Take us to our homes in safety. Bring us again to thy house this night. And may the love of God, our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship and communion of God, the Holy Spirit, rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.